This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, episode 56. Anthony Rivera here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome, thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms that I mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Mets fans. That's what's important here, sharing it with your fellow Mets fans, getting the word out there that Subway to Shea is the Mets podcast to listen to. If you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is today without you. So I really appreciate all the feedback and everything that you've done to make this one of the best baseball podcasts and Mets podcasts out there today. Subway to Shea is a global podcast. This podcast is not only played in the U.S., but also reaches across the globe. But no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week, so by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and also leaving comments in the review section can only help me to help this show grow. You can also rate the show on Spotify. I think there is a little button that you can rate from one to five stars or I don't know how that part works, but there is a rating system on Spotify. So if you go on there, click on Subway to Shape Podcast, you can rate the show. Uh, There's no room for comments at the moment, but I don't know if that'll change eventually. But go on Spotify as well, rate the show there, and that helps this podcast, and it helps me out. Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter, at Rising Apple Blog, and the fan-sided network, at Fan Sighted. Before we start the show, I wanted to thank our last week's guest, Matt Williams. Matt is a writer analyst for The Athletic. He is also the host of the Turn 2 podcast, which is all about fantasy baseball. So make sure you check it out wherever you listen to your podcast, especially if you are playing fantasy baseball this season. I am so pumped up for this show this week because... Opening day has finally arrived. The 2022 New York Mets baseball season has finally arrived. New season, new logo for Subway to Shea podcast. If you've checked out on Twitter or Instagram, you can see I changed up the logo for this season. And I got to thank my wife for creating that and her skills on doing these digital art pieces. So I appreciate her doing that and putting that together. So let's give a little... A little thanks to uh, my wife, Stephanie, for putting that logo together 
for Subway to Shea for us Met fans. So appreciate that. Now, on to this week's show and today's special guest. So, joining the Subway to Shea podcast right now to preview the 2022 Mets season is none other than Colin Cosell, the public address announcer for the New York Mets. He also announces for the Brooklyn Cyclones, the New York Riptide, which is lacrosse, and the Stony Brook Seawolves in basketball and football. Colin, how are you doing? Cannot complain. Baseball is right around the corner, and i um, really excited to actually see baseball uh, commence with a, a regular 162-game schedule and hopefully have a packed house every night. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better person to preview the season than someone who gets to sit at City Field the entire season and gets to watch each and every game. And Colin, I thought you were perfect to get on here, so I really appreciate you coming on. So let's get into this right now. The Mets... 2022 we're gonna do season preview here new season new leadership they cleaned house after the season with the the front office and the managerial staff billy epler who might be a blessing in disguise becoming the gm after all this fuss during the offseason on trying to get a uh, president of baseball operations and, and then getting him as the gm bringing in manager buck showalter then they brought in the hitting coach for eric chavez jeremy hefner stays on as the pitching coach you know they brought in wayne kirby joey cora and craig bjornson with every Everything that has happened over this season, especially this past week, it seems to be very clear to me that the Mets hired the right guy to lead this team in Buck Showalter. Do you agree? Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, I I think that, um, you know, Luis Rojas was... He was he was great. He's a man of the people. He's very well respected by the players. But I think um, with a new ownership comes kind of a new culture and a shift in the organization. And given the fact that this team clearly really enjoys each other, each other's company, we saw that a lot last season. Uh, and there's been a lot of new faces brought in. But I think in doing so, they brought in people that are additions to the locker room, to the clubhouse, whose contributions are you know far superseded those that they have on the field. Uh, and I think that's very important. And then the culmination of that, of course, would be Buck Showalter, who is, I mean, the man knows baseball as well as any human being watching, uh, walking the planet right now. He's he's old school, but is open to the new school. He uh, is someone who can keep everyone level-headed. He's handled every possible ego you can from, you know, the, the, the ones who think they're God's gift to baseball to the people who are just trying to make the team. Fortunately, I don't think we have that on the Mets this year, uh, so we won't have to navigate that as much. But this is a man who is uh, is worldly, weathered, and knows how to make the most out of a team that he's got. And you take a look at what he did in Baltimore. Baltimore Baltimore is not in the business of trying to put together a contender. They're just not. There are, you know, they, they kind of fall under the category of glorified farm team. Whoever they've got who's, you know, a superstar or a stud in the making will inevitably get traded. He somehow made them a playoff team and was able to make the most out of every possible player and scenario he was up against. And um, you, you can't you can't understate that. And with this Mets team, he's got depth, he's got talent, he's got leadership, and he's got a team that is very, very hungry. And I think with all the additions made coaching-wise, bringing in Epler, I think, was was a great move as well. I, I think the, the Mets have all the makings of a team that will either be successful this year or, you know, in the not-too-distant future. But it really helps when you've got an owner who's a a lifelong diehard Mets fan and wants to win a ring. That's going to be his crowning achievement. So I love where uh, where the direction of this team is going, injuries or not. It's crazy to think that Buck Showalter started his career here in New York 
you know, in the Bronx. He started with the Yankees as a manager, and he could quite possibly finish his career here in New York, now in Queens, hopefully bringing himself, you know, his first World Series championship. Uh, but all that he's done throughout his career, uh, from when he started as that rookie manager in the Bronx to now being that seasoned vet, you know, you know listening, learning, and now, you know, becoming these this manager that the Mets so desperately needed uh, I think it's a great thing for this team and it's what they needed at this time uh, as we look at the roster there's no confirmations yet but I I wanted to go off of an uh, article that uh, Anthony Decoma of MLB.com he wrote he kind of broke down the roster and said what he thought would possibly be uh, what's going to be a 28 man roster because uh, MLB and the Players Association last month said that the teams will be carrying 28 players uh, 29 for a doubleheader up from 26 on opening day through May 1st. And then additionally, there will be uh, no limit on how many pitchers they can carry as part of the expanded roster. And then the rosters will revert back to 26 players with a 13 pitcher maximum on May 2nd. The Mets starting pitching, we got Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, and what was just announced the opening day starter, Tyler McGill. He'll be replacing DeGrom right now, who's starting the season on IL with a stress reaction in his right uh, scapula, and he may miss about two months there. Uh, Seems like everything (laughs) went kind of downhill a little bit once they announced that the Mets had the best rotation in baseball. There was some tweet by MLB, I don't know if it was MLB.com or MLB Network, saying that the Mets had the best rotation, and it was definitely plausible when you count DeGrom in there, assuming that Max is not seriously injured because he's dealing with the hamstring and doesn't miss time, where do you see this rotation ranked with kind of without DeGrom? You know, it's one of those things that I, I absolutely despise and avoid. I never, ever get involved in predictions. Um, and the reason for that is is pretty stock standard for anyone who believes in logic. And that is, you don't know um, mm-hmm. how injuries are going to affect a team. Um, and, you know, the, the Mets have been snake bitten pretty much since I joined the organization and I'm coming into my fifth season. Uh, but as a fan beforehand, I've seen it. And... I, you know, to to rank this Mets pitching squad now, uh, especially with Degrom out until possibly June, um, Scherzer with with uh, hamstring, Bassett. You know, is he going to uh, have kind of a reinvention year? A Taiwan, can he last past the All Star break? I mean, there's uh, Cookie Carrasco. We didn't get a full glimpse of what he's capable of once he gets into a groove. So it is hard to judge. Am I confident in what this? team is made of right now absolutely there's no reason to think that in this era of a starter really only needing to last five innings if needed and then middle relief comes in that this you know the the way the Mets have stacked it uh both offensively and defensively uh to make sure that there is depth in case of emergency, in case of injury, um, you know, it, I, I think it will play out very well, especially with someone like uh, Show Walter at the helm and with Hefner still in there as a, a pitching coach. Listen, I- injuries, trades, there's so many uh, things that are up in the air each season. So I, I cannot by any stretch of the imagination rank where a team will be, especially in in the week before the season commences. 
I, if you had asked me a year ago, are the Atlanta Braves a championship team? I would have said, yeah, they have the they have the pieces necessary. They they can pull it off. But after Acuna Jr. went down, I was like, ah, well, there goes a huge presence in the clubhouse and a huge presence uh, defensively and at the plate. Uh, how do you recover from that? Well, they did. And to be honest with you, I think the Mets being in first place by the trade deadline last year really put the onus on them to make the moves that they made. And it worked. Um, not to say, and I actually know, you know what? I will say it. I will go out on a limb and say it right now, Anthony. Um, if the Mets hadn't been in first place, the Braves wouldn't have won a World Series by the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. The Mets forced a lot of people's hands. The Braves were cognizant of that, saw they were in striking distance, made the necessary moves, and we know the rest. It's it's painful to to witness um, the Braves, the Dodgers, and the Nationals being the last three world champions, especially from a Mets perspective. But that being said, it means anything is possible, especially if you look at the Nats team from 2019. We handled them pretty well. I believe we went 12 and 7 against them in 2019. They ended up world champions. Uh, I will never forget the weekend of August 9th, 10th, and 11th. Todd Frazier with a three run home run. The next night, a pitcher's duel of sorts. And, you know, that series, we were packed at City Field. It was electric. It had a playoff experience or a kind of vibe to it. It felt like a playoff experience from, uh, from my booth. But we didn't know that the team that we were handling was going to be the world champion, nor were they ranked as such. So a long-winded answer to to a very um, astute question. Everyone wants to know where everyone is ranked. I don't I don't play that game. I, I don't look into it until September. That's when you really see the cream rise to the top, see the teams that are getting hot at the right time, and the teams that have made the necessary adjustments to make a long run. Um, I do think the Mets are equipped, but ask me this question in September, and I will give you my rankings. Yeah, predictions are... Uh, they feel like just like a dime a dozen. I know they, they like posted it all over Twitter. I think even SNY is doing the, you know, the World Series predictions, and it's I I feel the same way. It's it's just so early to know where these teams are going to finish, and then you got to count for injuries and trades, and it's just I I totally agree with that point about just predicting what is going to happen during the season. I know a lot of people they get paid to do that, but I, I would prefer not to do it. I mean, I just find it interesting that. You know, after they announced this whole thing, then the, all these injuries happen. And now, now it's like, oh, I guess, you know, it, it's back to the real world uh, for the Mets. From the starting rotation, you move on to the bullpen. And the, the Mets, they made a, a strong bullpen last year, but they lost gas because, you know, of all those bullpen games, losing the starting pitchers. And then they had to, you know, they have to go through what the issues with Edwin Diaz and then Seth Lugo coming back from injury. This year, they're adding Adam Adovino to the team. They're adding uh, Joel Rodriguez, who's coming off of the trade for Miguel Castro with the Yankees. Chasen Shreve will be on the team. Uh, Sean Reed Foley, Trevor Williams, Drew Smith, Trevor May. I, I see a repeat kind of performance from the first half last year if this rotation can stay healthy. I, I really like the makeup. I like the additions of Adovino and Shreve. It was tough to lose Aaron Loop, who had this kind of like MVP-like year out of the bullpen. If this roster is true, I am very excited that they finally have two lefties in the bullpen, something that they kind of lacked, even with how well Loop pitched. Uh, what are your thoughts on the makeup of this bullpen this season? Uh, and who do you think would could be a, a surprise out of the pen this year? 
I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, I think uh, Bassett is one of the guys I'm going to keep an eye on. I think Carrasco has something to prove. You know, Edwin Diaz obviously wants a bounce back. He doesn't want the the tarnish of him. You know, I, listen, I follow Mets Twitter. I don't always interact with it. Um, I try to stay more of a positive force on Twitter. And I know as a New York sports fan myself, it's very easy to get mired in the negativity, especially when your team hasn't won for a number of years. I'm a New York Rangers fan as well. Well, I haven't seen a Stanley Cup championship in coming up on 28 years. A New York Jets fan, I've never seen them win a championship. So obviously, uh, you you want to see all the, the pieces fall into place and, and work for you. I know that the Twitterverse was down on Diaz, that he wasn't going to come up in big games. Well, I also can assure you that man uh, loves being on the mound. He loves the electricity of coming in. I mean, look at his walk-on music. I, I can think of nothing more electrifying in baseball right now. And I, I think to a certain degree, carries the same sort of weight and excitement that, that Yankees fans had with Enter. Sandman every time, uh, you know, their number 42 will go nameless, uh, comes comes in. Uh, all right, fine. I'll give him the credit. Mariano comes in. <laughs> you know, there's there's an excitement about it. And we got to see it early on in the season. Edwin was untouchable. He's he's hungry. He wants to do well. He wants to be our number one closer. Seth Lugo coming back from injury last year. Once he gets into his groove, undeniable. Trevor May, I think, wants to be more consistent, and I think he's capable of doing so. Tyler McGill was a wonderful surprise last season. I think the experience he'll be able to carry into this season, many scouts didn't think he was MLB ready. He shut most of them down. You know, I mean, it, it, there's still some learning curve there for him. I expect good things out of McGill. Adovino, a nice safe bet. I love picking him up. David Peterson, same thing. You know, Sean Reed Foley, uh, Jake Reed, Joely Rodriguez in rare trade with the Yankees. Another one of those safe things. Hey, if we're able to round him into the shape we know he's capable of, could be a surprise. Jason Shreve, obviously he's well uh, attributed uh, and, and acclimated to New York boards. And I think he's someone to keep an eye on. The one for me to watch, um, Trevor Williams is another one to keep an eye on. But the one to watch, I think, is Taiwan Walker. And to see how he, um, having carried an entire full season's workload last year, how he acclimates to doing the same because he didn't have that same sort of workload in the years leading up to his time with the Mets. Very curious to see what he's capable of because everything pre-All-Star break was All-Star worthy. He was an All-Star with good reason. Granted, he was filling in, but you know he was having a, a tremendous season. So Taiwan is one to keep an eye on. Um, Trevor Williams and and Trevor May, the two Trevors are ones to uh, to keep an eye on for me. But you know, I think when it comes to the bullpen. I, I think everyone's going to be role players. They'll figure out their roles. There will be growing pains. And the only thing I can preach to Mets fans and coming to you as a Mets fan is it's going to take some patience. And I know we're completely incapable of that as New York sports fans, <laughs> but it's going to take some patience to see how it rounds out. But I think we have the coaching staff around them to make it a reality and for everyone to figure out their strengths, their weaknesses, and what they're able to contribute to the team. But I, I really like it. I like the depth. And I think, um, injuries come and go as they may uh we you know we should have the right pieces in place and look if we don't we'll make a trade we we have the means necessary to do so and you know as much as i hate to say it we have some player position pieces that uh that can be made available as well so again it's a wait and see thing but i, I really really like the way this bullpen looks yeah, I think uh, fans need to understand, like, the bullpen, it's it, it just like they, these pitcher seasons, they just change every year. Although Aaron Loop had, you know, a, an amazing year last year, we don't know if he can duplicate that again. He definitely did not have that year with Tampa. He had a really good season. 
but he didn't have the season he had with the Mets. So it's constantly changing. We know when Edwin Diaz came in, he struggled his first season with the Mets, and then he's been able to progress and get better and better as his time with the Mets has gone on. I think an interesting thing for me with the rotation and with the bullpen is these guys are going to have a lot to prove not only for the team, but to themselves, because a lot of them are going to be free agents come the offseason. Edwin Diaz is going to be a free agent. Adovino's only on a year. I think Trevor May is done after this year. Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett, DeGrom, Carrasco, they're all going to become free agents. So they're going to have a lot to prove, not only to the team, but to themselves, so that they can earn a contract into next season. And to that point, you know, there's there's some beauty in giving the one-year contract, because it automatically becomes a contract year, and if that person wants to make their money they're gonna have to earn it um you know i i think listen a, a couple of caveats to your point edwin diaz you know when when he came in a, a lot of the pitcher is going to be on the catcher as well uh and there are pitchers who prefer specific catchers for whatever the reason may be and you know old school baseball mentality would be like no this is your catcher and you're going to deal with it new school baseball mentality is catering to the the player's needs which i'm totally on board with if it's going to bring their their optimal performance edwin diaz now has bona fide real catchers um who are you know that, that he was able to acclimate to, they were able to acclimate to him, which is key because, you know, the position of a catcher's glove is going to ha- weigh heavily on how the pitcher is approaching their pitches. And Edwin did not have that his first year. The same goes for, you know, anyone who's coming in, Max Scherzer is going to, he's going to have to acclimate as well. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have a McCann and and a Nito there. McCann, obviously he's weathered. He's been around. He knows how to acclimate. Tomas Nito stepped up big last year when necessary and kind of took the the job from McCann. But the point being the, the pitchers now know these catchers, the pitchers that we brought in are weathered and they're, they're veterans. Adam Adovino is ancient by all standards. I mean, the, the man is going to turn 37, uh, uh, this year uh, for middle relief. I mean, Max Scherzer, the same uh, is, you know, is 37 right now. will be 38 in the middle of the season. But these are people that are weathered and they know how to acclimate. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we're going to see it all kind of unfold. I don't want us to come screaming out the gate and go 11 and one like we did in 2018 because you're setting yourself up for disaster. Uh, you're, you know, the Braves came out with with the thud last year uh, and were able to turn it around. You want the team to round into form by August and be clicking all by, on all cylinders by September and know how to plug and play each player as necessary. And I think you're going to see a pitching staff that is going to learn from one another, but also has experience enough to learn where they fit in and how to acclimate to their surroundings and their catchers. So moving on from pitching, we're going to go to the lineup, the infield, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, Lindor, Eduardo Escobar, James McCann, as you mentioned earlier, the outfield is a little different this year, Mark Hanna, Brandon Nimmo, Starling Marte. The offense was a huge issue last year. Had a hard time scoring runs. Sort of revamped the lineup with the new signings, especially in the outfield that I mentioned. They're getting the DH, which I am finally glad is here. What do you think of this lineup that has been presented uh, so far? I mean, there's no denying... 
you know, what Eduardo Escobar and, um, you know, and what, what Lindor uh, obviously bring to the table. We know what J.D. Davis is capable of. You know, he really found his groove here in New York and was oft injured last year, which is unfortunate because I love J.D. Davis. I love his personality. I love watching him come out of his shell. Um, you know, and he's he's fully capable as, as a role player. The two players to keep an eye on, I mean, Jeff McNeil obviously wants to bounce back and prove his worth as a New York Met because he's been trade bait for so long now. And I, I'm curious to see how he bounces back. And I know he's hungry to do so, but Pete Alonso and Robbie Cano are the ones that I'm going to keep an eye on. Uh, Guillaume, I love having him on the team. I think he's he's a great plug and play kind of player uh, as needed. Robbie Cano coming back from a year suspension, uh, came back and apologized to the team and to the fans. He's got a lot to prove. And granted, he's going to be turning 40 this year, but the man is still capable, I've seen it myself, of turning a double play, of, of playing that defense you need. And he's capable at the plate. I watched him in his first spring training with the Mets, practicing opposite field and and trying to place the ball. That was his number one focus. And he's really, really good at it. I think he, as an all-star and a world champion, is able to bring a lot to the table uh, for these players. But he's also got a lot to prove to the fans, to himself, and to his teammates. I expect some big things out of Robbie Cano. And if it falls flat, this may very well be the season where he either calls it quits uh, or is relegated to the minors. Pete Alonso, on the other hand, is focusing a lot on his end game, which is not to win another world, uh, another world championship. My God, I wish to uh, to win another home run derby. But he wants to be a Gold Glove first baseman. That may detract from the the huge swings that we're capable that he's capable of and that we've all grown accustomed to. Not to say that he's not double dipping and trying to to master both, but I think Pete Alonso will be the one to watch at first base, especially since uh, that that trade with San Diego to bring Hosmer over and and other trades have been talked about bringing additional depth into the infield, uh, which has since relegated Dominic Smith pretty much to an outfield position. He can obviously play first as well, but it'll be interesting to see what Pete is capable of. But I think defensively, this is the strongest this infield has been in years, um, quite possibly in the entirety of my career with the Mets. Um, And offensively, obviously, Lindor, he figured it out towards the end of last season. He was all but unstoppable. The man was on a hitting streak. He's ridiculous. When Alonzo gets on, he gets on. When McNeil is on, it's ridiculous. Davis, same way. Cano, a lot to prove. Escobar, we know what he's capable of, and I think he and Lindor are going to complement each other really well. And of course, Luis Guillorme, I love him. Uh, I I expect when he gets his time, he's going to be huge as well, but I love this infield. I love everything about it, and I love what they all offer to each other and to the team as a whole on the field. Are you a DH in the NL type guy? Because I said earlier that I'm glad that it's here, especially after some of the things that took place last year with the injuries to our pitchers. But are are do you like the DH being in the National League, or are you a, a more of a purist and you rather see you know the pitcher hit? I'm a turncoat, to be honest with you. <laughs> I always love the idea of the AL and the NL having very specific rules unto themselves and being two entities in order for them to meet in the World Series and then have that uh, juxtaposition of rules with the two of them. When you're in the NL you know, ballpark, your pitcher's going to hit. When 
near the AL ballpark you're going to have a DH. Now taking a look at the way pitchers pitch, the way they prep, the way they go about their business, um, I'm very much okay with the DH. I, I think for the sake of someone like Jake DeGrom, who we know, I mean, he was he was having an all-world, actually, no, nothing what he was doing in the first half of last year was worldly. It was beyond comprehension. The guy was batting 500 at the plate and was pitching under one in the ERA. And it was just like, what? It was a joy to watch. I loved it, but it I, it tweaked his arm. I watched it happen. I watched him with an at-bat. He got a single, and then he was out there and was kind of shaking his shoulder around, and you never want to see that. It was one of those subtle nuances that I'm not sure if it was picked up on TV, but all of us on headset and production were like, Jake looks off. Jake does not, like, I don't know if he's going to make it through this inning. He made it through the inning. I believe he got a strikeout on the last batter, um, but he did not return. He went down the tunnel. That was that. In the interest of preserving pitchers now, bring on the DH. Uh, and in the interest of preserving the players, and I'll be uh, a little self-centered on this, uh, in the interest of saving us PA announcers, I kind of like the uh, seven-inning doubleheader thing. Oh, um, I agree. You know, totally. That was that was kind of nice. Um, you know, but uh, but you didn't ask about that with regards to DH. Yeah, yeah, bring it on. I mean, this all signs point to MLB uh, eliminating leagues and just making it one big league, uh, more, you know, interdivisional play and not interleague play, make it more universal. Uh, they're trying to make it a more user-friendly version of the game, and I think the DH is uh, the first step towards doing that. The Mets have a lot of viable candidates for the DH position. Who do you think should get the majority of time out there? You mentioned a couple guys. There's always there's J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, obviously Robinson Cano. Who do you think is the best fit for that right now i mean to be honest with you if uh if pete wasn't trying so hard to get a golden glove i'd say pete alonzo would be perfect for it um that being said he's our first baseman i love it i stand by it and i can't wait to see what he's been doing in the off season but batters get cold and the best way to snap them out of it is maybe take them out of their regular uh you know their, their regular routine and give them just a chance to focus on batting. And what better way to do that than with being a DH. So I love the idea of a Guillaume, a JD Davis, uh, whoever is off that day catching wise, be it Nito or McCann, um, putting a Dom Smith in there, obviously. Dom is very, very good at pinch hitting. Um, a Jeff McNeil, I think any of them, if they're cold coming in as a DH, it's a great way to snap them out of it. Uh, but I think we have plenty of weapons in the DH uh, realm. And who knows, you know, come the end of the season, if we desperately need a win and DeGrom is, is off at that point, he, you know, just pitched and we'll get a few days, you know, his, his standard uh, days off. Who knows? You might throw a DeGrom in there for a pinch hit. Um, but I think we've got plenty of weapons for it. I'm totally on board with the DH and and love what what we've done with the hitting depth in order to, to fill that gap. The bench mob was a big thing last year. Kept this team in first place when there were so many injuries in the first half. You look at the bench right now. Tomas Nito, Dom Smith you mentioned, Cano you mentioned, J.D. Davis, obviously, Luis Guillorme. Also adding Travis Jankowski. He'll probably be the uh, defensive guy to come in. Uh, when, you know, a uh, Canna or, you know, obviously Nimmo's uh, maybe suffering an injury, uh, Starling Marte may need a rest. I feel like this bench might right now may be even stronger than what we saw last year. I agree. And it's one of those things that, you know, we'll find out as we go. I mean, you've got 
some free agent signings who have been sent to the minors and Nick Plummer, Khalil Lee, uh, Vientos, um, Blankenhorn is, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's tried and true. I mean, he's not a veteran by veteran standards, but he's someone who's hungry uh, to make it up there. And of course, Ronnie Mauricio, who I've seen firsthand in, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, him and Brett, Brett Beatty, uh, a couple of guys to, to keep an eye on who can absolutely hit. We also saw some magic out of uh, Pat Mazika. Who, who knows what he, he'll bring this year if he'll be the, the king of the infield walk-off hit once again. One never knows, but the, the one thing we do know is the, the bench is strong. The Mets are very well aware of you know, making sure we have that depth necessary, um, you know, lessons learned from last year and just lessons learned from being in Major League Baseball. I think the bench mob this year is going to be a little more subtle than last year. I think Buck is going to let their freak flag fly to a certain degree, um, whether or not that's going to be dress-up days for travel like they did last season. Who knows? Uh, whatever it takes to galvanize that that clubhouse to do so. Um, it's going to be a different bench mob, a very capable bench mob, but I think you're going to see a much more serious demeanor uh, amongst the players. They're still going to enjoy each other's company and what have you. Um, but, you know, for the role players to step up the way they did last season, uh, I think it's going to be much more of a laser focus than a, um, hey, it's your turn, go get them. And if they do, we celebrate and tear your jersey off. If they don't, you know, better luck next time. I think it's going to be like, we're, we're all counting on you now. Once again, I'm here with Colin Cosell, the public address announcer for the New York Mets. Now, Colin, you don't announce alone, correct? Marisol Castro also splits duties with you? The great Marisol Castro of PIX11 News is my counterpart, my um, my partner, spelled with a capital P-A for public address, R-T-N-E-R. Um, yeah, Mari and I split the entire season. Uh, she will get mostly weekend games because she does have her job with PIX11. Uh, and my uh, day job has me um, working for a company over in the UK. So I have a bit of an earlier start so I can get those weekday nights. But uh, but yeah, we're splitting it again for our fifth season. You both do such a great job. It's great hearing your voices, you know, when you're at the game. What do you do to prepare yourself and get your voice ready for the season? Well, the first thing I do is anytime we sign someone, I get um i get accustomed to their name their pronunciation the uh the syllables involved uh, any alliteration or uh anything about their name that's that speaks to how i should announce it um my first season with the mets uh, in 2018 uh, in september of that year i went and spent my one year anniversary with my wife uh, out in colorado and while we were there we went to see a colorado rockies game um and you know just meet their production team luckily some of their guys are are friends with some of our production team so i got to see how another team goes about their their production what have you and of course with that uh i met their pa announcer and that experience for me was uh, reed saunders by the way is his name uh reed much like me, has a day job, an office job, um, but has just an unbelievable voice. And it, it's deep, it's gravelly, it's powerful. I'm envious of his voice. But the most the most cogent thing he taught me was when announcing a player's name is to let the player's name tell you how to announce it. And he literally taught me that right before he announced DJ LeMayhew. And he basically did the, um, you know, uh, the first baseman, DJ LeMayu. And it just kind of like flowed out of him. And I'm like, okay, I get it now. 
So with that, um, any new players that come on, I immediately rehearse. I've been rehearsing Max Scherzer from the day we signed him um, and get accustomed to any uh, ethnic pronunciations. Um, Mari is much better uh, accustomed to uh, announcing Latino names because she is Puerto Rican. She is from the Bronx. She speaks Spanish fluently. She knows how to put that correct emphasis. So there's a lot of practicing the names for every series before I go in. I look at all of the active players, uh, go through their names, the pronunciations. Major League Baseball uh, is courteous enough to offer each PA announcer a pronunciation guide. So you've got a phonetic spelling of each player's names. However, sometimes it doesn't directly translate. So I will go on YouTube and I'll look at uh, a bunch of announcements or clips of these players being announced by broadcasters or PA announcers to make sure that they all align with the correct pronunciation. Because at the end of the day, my number one job as a PA announcer is to get the players' names right. Uh, if I stumble, voice cracks, whatever the case may be with anything else, that's forgivable. But announcing the player names is paramount to my job. So I will rehearse all of the players' names, um, including some that I might see well in advance of every series. Um, and that goes for uh, get, getting ready for the season. Fortunately, I'm a year-round PA announcer, so announcing for the Riptide um, from December through April has me primed and ready. And to be honest with you, it's a far more taxing job. Uh, I'm announcing through the entire game. There's a bit of play-by-play -play in there, some color commentary. I'm encouraged to antagonize the opposition, so there's a bit of stand-up comedy in there. And of course, my regular reads as PA announcer to, uh, to pay the bill so i will come in primed and ready my voice will be good to go um but i do carry with me for every single game my magical elixir as i call it uh which is throat coat tea mixed with manuka honey uh a dash of apple cider vinegar um obviously hot water and um slippery elm root uh which is good for getting rid of inflammation Gargle with that, drink it slowly, and do my vocal exercises on my way to the ballpark, get my mouth primed and ready, uh, and make sure that all gunk is out of the way because I'm a naturally gunky guy. Like, I'm a guy who always has to clear his throat, which doesn't lend itself well to being a PA announcer, but, you know, I work around it and trying to alleviate any cracks or gunk that might get in the way. But, yeah, I go in there and do as much prep work as I can before the game starts. And then once we get started, uh, I read through all my copy uh, ahead of time, uh, make sure if there's anything that I'm going to stumble over, get it out of the way, get the, the rhythm out of the way and, and get comfortable with uh, all the players' names, the copy, uh, anyone who's throwing out a ceremonial first pitch, make sure I get their names right. So there's a lot more prep into it than just reading words off a page. Um, you know, because I know that when I announce a player's name, especially if that player's hot at the time, or if it's a Max Scherzer or a DeGrom or an Alonzo, that the fans are going to react. So I want to give them the most crystal clear, concise, powerful pronunciation of that name so that they react accordingly. And in that moment, we have that synergy between me as an announcer and them as a fan. So it's a lot of work, but it's it's worth it. And I also know that if my voice cracks like it did last season with Pete Alonzo, and it was a bad crack too, that uh, the Twitterverse is going to send tweets my direction <laughs> and be like, hey, are you okay? Are you going through puberty? What's happening? <laughs> well, I heard your voice crack. What, you know, and, and they're relentless and I accept it. It's part of the job. But it's going to happen. No one has done their job perfectly their entire So, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I prep as much as humanly possible. Go back to what you were saying earlier about this one series, you know, in 2019, the whole thing with the 
the uh, the Frazier home run and how big that was during the 2019 season. And it brought me to uh, this question, you know, when you're announcing and you have a crowd at City Field, you know, for that big game atmosphere, you know, you basically feed off the crowd. Does your announcing, like, does it shift? Does it change from, like, you know, just a regular game on, like, a, a Monday night? Or do you have to keep that consistent, you know, that consistent tone and that consistent voice, even, you know, even if it's just, you know, just another game, just to get the fans, you know, into it and the crowd going? Uh, 100%. And you will, to, to the untrained ear, I'm just announcing for nine innings, and that's that. Uh, if you pay very close attention, my announcing will be uh, a reflection of where we are in the game. Um, and a lot of that is situational. So if we're getting completely blasted 14 to two in the fifth inning, I'm not going to announce the next batter with the same gusto I normally would. It, you know, instead of it being like the first baseman, Pete Alonzo, it'll be the first baseman, Pete Alonzo, you know, take it down a notch. Um, one of the first things I was taught as a PA announcer was to react accordingly to the situation that the game, uh, is presenting to you. So, if we're getting destroyed, I will tone it down. If we're destroying them, it's going to be full throttle. Uh, if it's the next inning and um, we'll say Brandon Nimmo made an insane diving catch and he's the next at bat, I'm going to give him a little more oomph because that's my way of giving a hat tip to, hey, you did a great job in the field. Same thing if Dom Smith hit a grand slam home run in his last at bat, his next at bat, I'm going to give him more props. Uh, if we're in the, you know, whatever inning we're in and we're down by one and someone knocks in a, uh, a two-run double, I'm going to elevate my voice for that next batter to keep that excitement going. So it's entirely situational. I will be paying very close attention to where we are in the game, uh, what that batter did, in their last at bat or what they last did on the field um how big the last play was and do we want to keep that momentum going uh that is how i will elevate to 100 percent when i announce a player's name or scale it back to you know 20 percent. i never go below 20 i don't think <laughs> well con i can't thank you enough for coming on the show let everyone know what you're working on if there's anything else that you're working on that you want you know the fans to know about and how to follow you on social media I mean, I'm uh, on Twitter at CoSellPA, which uh, when I created that Twitter account, didn't realize that some people might think that means I'm CoSell from Pennsylvania, but that stands for public address. Um, but yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at CoSellPA. Tweet at me anytime you like. I uh, love interacting with the fans, love bringing the booth to the fans as well. Um, I hate to be just some guy with uh, all of your backs to me and I'm just yelling at you for three hours. I, I love to make uh, the fan experience part of the PA experience and vice versa. Uh, so feel free to reach out to me. And of course, um, to any fans who want me to uh, re uh, record a, a custom call up the way I do for the uh, for the players, go ahead, reach out to me. Um, you know, time permitting, obviously, but I, I will get that done for you. I'll make it sound like it does in the ballpark. And, uh, you know, that was my number one goal was to make this as much of a fan role as it is a role of the ballpark and to the players. So, um, you know, I'm always here. I'm a fan as well. Uh, just don't expect me to engage in anything too negative because uh, that's not what I do. And we need more positivity in the Mets Twitterverse. So yes. uh, I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I know sometimes Times I could be too. I, I some people think that I could be too positive at sometimes, and you know they come at you, and it's just like we're just supporting the team. Like we got to do it as best as we can, especially on we're getting closer to opening day, so uh, there should be no negativity at this.
this moment. I know there's injuries, but we got to be as positive as possible. DeGrom's out, but let, let's support Tyler McGill on his opening day, right? Oh my God, yeah, of course. You know, I, I love the support he was getting from his family. I loved being the first person to announce him in his first game at City Field. Like, I take that very seriously. Um, you know, when the new guys come in, I will give them 100% gusto so that the fans react accordingly. I'm, I'm here for the positivity because at the end of the day, what I don't put on Twitter is my negativity. And of course, I suffer from it as well. Um, and I get it. I get the frustration. I feel it as well. I don't air it. I try to ride with what is given to us roll with the punches and hope for the best because at the end of the day sports is escapism it's a wonderful respite from the very very dark world that we live in these days uh with natural disasters wars pandemics and what have you look no matter what if you're able to get the ballpark and watch a baseball game think of 2020 and how you couldn't uh at the end of the day, are you able to escape no matter, you know, win or lose from your, your desk job or a family illness or whatever is going on in your personal world and just watch these professionals do what they do? Yeah, you're given that that opportunity. Roll with it. And that's that's all I can preach. That's all I can do. And you will not get a lick of negativity outside of politics from me outside uh, out on Twitter. Well, Khan, I would love to have you on again to talk more because we really didn't even scratch the surface on your career and how you got here and your lineage with your grandfather father being Howard Cosell. I thought it was important to focus, you know, on you and the great work that you did with the Mets. So I would like to do that in the future if you're up to it. Absolutely. And, and you know what? It's been refreshing to not talk about my grandfather at all or my career because my career is lackluster. It's more, that's more of an inspirational story of like, never give up on your dreams because they may come true when you're 38 years old, Colin. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to come on again. Any questions you got for me, fire away as long as it doesn't get me in trouble. Once again, thank you, Colin. And I have a uh, great opening day and a great season which starts for you next week at city field cannot wait uh modest soul will be on the pregame i'll be on the in game and then boom we got uh, 162 games ahead of us let's pack city field every night let's get this team back in the world series i cannot wait let's go mets all right colin you take care you too man thanks for having me that was colin cosell the public address announcer for the new york mets you can hear him along with his tag team partner marisol castro at city field when you go to the met games great having colin on and breaking down this season no better person to do that with and it was a lot of fun Make sure you check him out at City Field this season. My final thoughts before this train leaves the station. I want to quickly talk about the DeGrom injury and how I feel about it. You know, this is what we signed up for with Jake and Max Scherzer. The concerns were always going to be there. Whether their age, injuries, there was a lot riding on their health going into this season. So, you know, we got what we signed up for with them. Hopefully, it all works out in the end. It's early on in the season. Thankfully, it's not the end of the season or like at the second half where we lost to Grom. So hopefully both Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, who kind of has this slight hamstring injury, he'll pitch on Friday. Hopefully they will come through this and hopefully lead the Mets to a World Series. And, you know, is the season over if Jake doesn't pitch? It's not. It's not. They have a good enough rotation with Max Scherzer, Bassett, Walker, Carrasco, and now Tyler McGill, who's a decent pitcher. He, you know, he could be very good, especially in that five slot. So I am not worried at this moment in time about the rotation. If the injuries start to mount like they did last year, that's something that we're going to have to think about and start worrying about. But right now, I think the rotation is going to be fine. Let's get through the first couple months. Let's get Jake reevaluated, and then we'll move on from there. 
fans need to start tempering their expectations on Jacob DeGrom moving forward. I don't know if this is the Jake to expect moving forward where he's going to be injured often because before this, he was only injured in that 2016 season that ended his year. Besides that, he's been healthy. They had the short 2020 season where he had a couple injuries. 2021, he was injured, and now he's injured right now. Is this a thing that we're going to have to worry about moving forward? Maybe. Should monitor it for sure. But I would temper expectations. I don't want to go out every game worrying about if the Mets take him out of a game in the fifth inning or if he comes out with a blister or he has to take an MRI. I don't want to have to worry about that because you're putting yourself in a bad position. So I'm not going to do that anymore. I felt that way last year. Not going to do that again. So whatever we get from Jacob deGrom, whatever he gives us this season, I am going to take and enjoy what we can of Jacob deGrom. And hopefully we see more of what we saw in 2018, in 2019, and the first half of last season where he was otherworldly, where he was, you know, going back to that year of the pitcher, talking about like the Bob Gibson time. So I hope he can get healthy. I hope he can get himself right. When it comes to his contract negotiation, I'm so surprised that he is still willing to opt out at this moment in time. Is he still going to feel that way if the injuries continue to mount this season? I don't know. I would still sign Jacob deGrom, but the ball is in the Mets court if he misses a crazy amount of time. Because he's not going to get the big contract that he wants if he can't stay healthy. And the Mets are in prime position to sign him any way they please. Maybe he does go to another team. I hope not. We hope he stays with the Mets forever. We've talked about how Steve Cohen's favorite pitcher was Tom Seaver and how he was upset that they let him go. I don't think that this is going to happen here with Jacob deGrom. If he stays hurt, I wonder if he changes his mind and doesn't opt out until he could do a full, healthy season. Another player that has been dealing with injuries, Brandon Nimmo. I've gone on record saying that he's my favorite position player, but I'm starting to worry about him. A little more than Jacob deGrom, actually. He's had neck stiffness with that bulging cervical disc. Will he even play 100 games? He's only did it once, and that was in 2018. He's also going to be a free agent. He is under the Scott Boris wing of, uh, of, of agents. I was all for giving him a deal, even with Scott Boris as his agent. I was all for giving him a free agent deal. But with these injuries, I've kind of changed my mind. Love Nimmo, but he at least has to play 115 to 120 games this season for me to give him any kind of big contract. Those bulging discs just don't go away. He's going to have to have some type of surgery or something. Is this going to be a chronic illness for him? I don't know. At this moment, it sure seems like it. But I'm not signing two guys who have been injured. The only person that's getting that leeway is Jacob deGrom. Nimmo is not getting that from me. And I've said he's my favorite position player. I enjoy watching him play. But I'm starting to get a little worried about him. Is it time to move on, especially if he's going to cost so much? Look at what happened with Michael Conforto. He hasn't even signed yet. So we're going to see where that goes. And we're going to wrap up the show there. Please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans. So by going on Apple Podcasts, leaving me a star from one to five, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and a comment in the review section, it can only help me to make this show better each and every week. You can also rate the show on Spotify. So you could rate and review on Apple Podcasts and rate the show on Spotify if you listen on there. Do me a favor, 
Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, I'm a contributor for Rising Apple, a New York Mets site on the Fan Sided Network. You can check out my articles for Rising Apple as I will leave the links in the description of this episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much. And that will do it for this week's episode. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Enjoy opening day, everyone. Let's go Mets.